Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Words with Dragons podcast. Today, we have another Q&A that I'm very excited to get to. Um, there's a few questions and a fic recommendation um, on the table today. And I know I've kind of left you guys without a podcast for a couple of weeks now. I don't think this one is going to be too long, um, but I do already have one pre-recorded for Next week, that's an episode commentary to 206 that I think you'll really enjoy that Arful Star requested. Um, and if you want to send in more questions or more episode commentary requests, as always, just send them in over at my Tumblr. Real number two ways, a little like asterisk, um, just so I know. And then I'm also hoping that maybe the next Q&A can be officially um, focused on the season one novelization that's coming out June 2nd and I should get it that day around that time I'll have to wait and see about shipping um but I'm very excited and I will either way I'm gonna start going back to my usual upload schedule fingers crossed um so I hope you guys enjoy that and yeah so today let's just dive in um so the first question is from my new groove which who asked out of all the fix you've written, which one is your favorite and why? Now I've been in fandom for over eight years. I have written a lot of fan fiction in my time. Um, have not finished many of them, you know, that were multi-chat, but I like to think it's the thought that counts, you know, expressing creativity and all that. Um, and I think that in kind of like every main fandom I've been in, there's either a piece that was really special to me or just I'm quite proud of looking back. Um, a couple of my earlier fandoms, like I really enjoyed my time when I was creating content for the How to Train Your Dragon fandom, but I don't necessarily know if there's any piece I would say I'm particularly proud of that I wrote at that time, but there is one to do with reincarnation called um, The Weight that's over on my account, Words of Dragons at fanfiction.net. That like to this, I published it like maybe six years ago, and to this day, I still sometimes will get people who stumble across it and just really like it. So I'm very happy that it's touched them emotionally. Um, and there was a more recent one shot I wrote um, set after the third movie that came out like um, over a year ago in February. Um, that was called like Matching Set, I think. That was just kind of like one sort of final piece from me and I really enjoyed writing that but um but for the fix that I always think like oh like what am I really really proud of or which ones do I think I learned a lot from I would say that um <clears throat> I was in the Legend of Korra fandom hard pretty hardcore for about four ish years like from 2014 ish to 2017 2018 I think I was still I'll say 2017 to be safe, but um, the summer of 2016, I started writing a pirate AU for one of my, for my main ship in that fandom, which was Kai and Janor, and I loved them, still do, um, and that was the first fic I wrote that was quite like OC heavy, and I, but people really loved them, and it was kind of like some of the OCs were named or based off characters from the show, but we had gotten so little from them, or they were so different or whatever, they were, they were virtually OCs. Um, and not only was the verse a lot of fun just for world building, you know, and it kind of grew a life of its own that was really unexpected to me. It, that's the one that I think really taught me how to characterize strongly. Um, and it was also the fic that I wrote this summer. I wasn't really working on any of my original stuff. 
um, before I went back to working on the um, fantasy series that I'm trying to write. So I feel like that was a really good like interval. And so that fandom and that summer um, and the fact that like my other, the three friends that I made that I was really close to in that fandom that I'm still very close to all hopped on board and we're all like, hey, can I write things set in this AU? And it was the first thing I ever got fan fiction for. Um, and it still has some of, it, it also ex- was the first thing I wrote that really explored some things that I really feel strongly about in fiction, which is like talking about mental health and having characters do that sort of work and that sort of process. Um, and, and the fact that it's not linear and just all that sort of thing. Um, in addition to just having like their sea witches, their sirens, it's pirates, you know, we're, like that's just, it's just so fun. It was so fun. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite fix and the attached sort of universe that ended up coming with it, that hands down. Um, and then another fic that I'm really proud of that I'm currently still working on. Um, I think I've talked a little bit about Voltron in the past on this podcast, but I wasn't the Voltron fandom, but I was not an asshat. Um, I just wanted to ship my ships. Um, but my two favorite characters in the show were Shiro and Allura. Um, and for people, spoiler warning for Voltron, I guess, if anybody decided to watch it or is currently watching it, personally, I wouldn't recommend it all. It doesn't get, it, it, it goes downhill after season two, really after season one, but season two still has some like high highs. Um, but I really loved both Shiro and Allura as characters um, and the found family potential and all that sort of stuff. Um and I was really disappointed that the show went in the direction it did of kind of taking these two people of color out of their leadership positions and their sort of co-leadership, their just kind of like narrative and, you know, of overcoming oppression. One of them is a genocide survivor. One of them was a prisoner of war. Um, I felt not only do they both die at one point, um, but they both very much get sidelined and nobody to me really had like arcs or satisfying or whatever. Um, so I remember really shortly after season two came out, I had started a fix it fic, um, called the space between stars. And originally it was just to do the, the tweaks that I felt needed for season two. And also just to give some more like emotional resolution from some stuff after season one that I didn't really feel like got talked about. Um, and then when the show continued to sort of disappoint me and I really got ties with canon after season six, I was like, you know what? I still really like everything that could have been done with this universe. I still really like these characters. I don't like some of the characters anymore. And like, unfortunately that were in the main cast. Um, but I still think that they could have great stories. And I think there could be something really good here. And I kind of still want to write it. Um, and so it is to the, I'm like, I'm almost wrapping. I went back and I rewrote season two and then I'm almost done season three. Um, it's basically completely different from the canon show at this point. But I, I think it's really, really good um, in terms of capitalizing the ideas that like were really good in canon, just in terms of like concepts or even character design. And then just really like fleshing it out or taking it in um, different directions with better implications um, for some things. So that's really fun. It is the most plot heavy thing I've ever written. So every chapter feels like a marathon, um, but it was really fun. And I've been getting to draw from a lot of different sources. And it's also fun because it is sci-fi fantasy. 
Um, and it's just very kind of like gratifying to give these characters the sorts of stories I would have wanted to see with them of like letting them become more of a found family and strengthening those bonds. Every character gets multiple arcs. Every character gets the same general amount of backstory. There's definitely like the focus, you know, again, introducing more OCs or doing the same thing I did with Anchor of there's some characters that were mentioned in like season two or whatever, and then they die, keeping those characters alive, letting them have, be more like people, um, just doing a lot of fun sort of like alien mystical world building. I wrote mythology. Um, I made different like hierarchies for different alien people. So that's been really fun. And just kind of like reinventing. I changed out the origin story. So it made more sense. So it, it really is a complete overhaul. It feels like a fix when you move into a house, that's a fixer upper. You're like, you know what? I'm going to make it my home, but it's going to take a lot of work. Um, and I don't know if I'll finish it because I think the full thing, if I follow my outline all the way through, and it's, it's a very good outline. But if I do, I think it'll be like 700,000 words and that'll be like the longest singular thing I've ever written. And that'll take a lot of time. So I don't know if I have enough steam to get through all of it. But however far I do get, I know I'm going to be really proud of it. If I do finish the whole thing, legendary accomplishment. Um... And so that went for a lot of reasons. And it's also fun because one of the OCs that I started writing, um, her name is Lyra and for, she's part of, um, uh, there's the Empire, there's the Galra Empire in Voltron. And so she's part of like a Galra sort of like resistance group. Um, and so I started her chapter, she was planned like earlier, but her chapter where she gets introduced um, ends up ended up falling in like September 2018 right when the Dragon Prince was coming out so she is very much inspired by Rayla she's she's perhaps unintentionally and, and intentionally um and so is her kind of you know I can see I can see the bits of Rayla in her romance that she ends up having on like the side um she also has gay uncles uh two pairs of gay uncles um and so, but yeah, but she, it was, it's really fun to see kind of like the Rayla in her um, and also like the differences that are there in terms of like, she is a bit more just less humorous, um, a bit more socially awkward, just like very pointedly and a bit harder. You know, she doesn't have the morals. She is, she's not purely an assassin, but she has carried out assassination missions before. Um, she doesn't have like an issue with it. Um, so it was just, it's just fun. And I always have a really good time when I do write it. And it's like consistently some of my best writing. It's actually kind of frustrating that it's going to something that really, uh, source material that really disappointed me. And it's not like, oh, my original work, but I'm like, nah, this is somehow my best work consistently. So if you've ever watched Voltron, or if you want to watch the first season, and then not be disappointed whatsoever, or you just like more of my writing and, you know, you just want to read something by me, I would recommend that. It's long, it's fun. I'm getting back into the groove with it. Um, it's just, a, it, I think it's really good. Um, and then probably another one of the picks that means a lot to me is um, basically everything I've written for the Dragon Prince has been very impactful or very fun. Um, and Search of Silver Lines is really important to me because that was the fic that my writing partner Jill and I wrote while we were also figuring out. We had been friends for years, but we were figuring out our own sort of um, relationship with each other and kind of in that sort of thing. And so 
you know, it's just a bit of nostalgia of like, oh, this is when I realized I was in love with this person a bit. Um, or not like, only, not like only a bit in love, but like this is when I started to realize it. Um, so that's really special. And even just kind of like we were writing um, previously for the other couple I mentioned, Kynora, um, but we didn't have the really strong association with either or, you know, we were kind of like, you know, I could see, I could see parts in, of myself, maybe more so in like Janora than I could in Kai. Um, but I, you know, but there wasn't that heavy association. You know, like I remember we were watching the Dragon Prince or even um, just working on any of our fix. It's like, I really relate to Callum. You know, I, I took a, I took a quiz the other earlier today, actually, that was like, what Dragon Prince character are you on like a to go quiz or something? And I got Callum and then second up was Rayla and third up was Ezra. And I was like, excellent. My trio stand is, is showing. Um, you know, but Jill really, they really relate to Rayla in some ways or whatever. And it's just funny that not only did that happen, but like my favorite character in the show is Rayla and Jill's favorite character is Callum. So I'm like, clearly uh, something, stars aligned or something. Um, and then another fic that we're working on right now that I'm really proud of for similar reasons that I'm proud kind of of Anchor. And even just my original series, again, with touching on things like mental health or doing the long, the hard, long-term emotional work um, is if time is money, then I'll spend it all for you. Not only is that a lyric that I just adore from one of my favorite songs next to me by one of my favorite bands, Sleeping At Last, but it's been such a rewarding experience to not only write it and to really almost feel like you're giving yourself therapy in a fic in a way but also just like the response it got immediately was just so much more than I thought when we were writing it we were nervous we were like I don't know if we're gonna be able to write Renan and we were thinking like oh this is so niche like who's gonna want to read like we started it we thought it would be a one shot and then we were like no there's so much more to write here but we thought it was just so niche we're like who's gonna want to read like 40k of like Callum and Rilla's parents just learning how to get along you know like there's no real plot right like it's just kind of doing the emotional work um and I hadn't seen too too many fix like that in the Dragon Prince fandom at that point there may have been ones and they just slipped me by or I didn't read that far because I tend sometimes I'll start fix and I forget to finish them so you know you could tell me anything about the ending um but that's been a fic that I've been so consistently proud of and consistently kind of emotional for both its sadder and its happier moments. And I might get a little choked up. And it's crazy because we're on the last arc of the fanfic now. There's, I think, like six-ish more chapters to go. And I know I'm going to cry when I finish it, when we finish writing it. Because every time you finish writing a fic, it's a little emotional, especially if it's multi-chaptered. So it's been like a few months. And it's def- we're not leaving that like verse collection of headcans. Like we're definitely going to write other things set there. Because like God knows we have time until canon comes to really like contradict anything like enough that it matters. In terms of all the things we, we allude to of happening in between like after season three and when the fix starts. Um, but yeah, just because like, I think the fic really is, I, I, if people take only one thing away from it, 
I want it to be self-compassion. I want it to be that like you can, and also compassion for others as well, but really just rooted in self-compassion in terms of like, you're going to have a lot of really messy, like emotional feelings that don't totally make sense or you thought you had dealt with it and then it comes back and you're like, oh, well, what the hell is this? Or like, you're going to be angry at people and not really know why or angry at yourself and not really know why or just whatever. And just kind of like the really hard work of figuring out like where that sort of thing comes from and like letting yourself, if not forgive, then move on from those sorts of things. Again, in terms of how other people have hurt you or in terms of how life in general has hurt you or whatever it is. And just kind of like reconciling with all the things in your life that you might not get closure or the things that you can't change. And that doesn't mean that you still can't be happy and you still can't have a full, vividly beautiful life because of any of that sort of stuff. And you can move on and you can be someone you never thought you could be and you can find so much love and like the most unexpected places properly. And it's not always going to be easy, um, but it's always going to be worthwhile and why kind of like hanging in there for yourself is always going to be worth it. Um, so leaving something, a project like that, there's so much been like a manifestation of that all the way through, um, is going to be really emotional as you can probably hear in my voice. Um, but it's definitely something like a theme or whatever that like we're not, and I'm not leaving anytime soon. Um, and I hope, and I, if I had to pick probably just one fanfic that, message wise I'm extremely proud of you know it would definitely be if time is money that's definitely what I believe in the most and I hope that that's what people take away um now that we got really emotional (laughs) and I've talked uh for almost 20 minutes on just the first question um my new group also requested that I talk about um an amazing fanfic that clearly they're enjoying and I've also adore with my whole heart um, that it's not written by me uh, <laughs> called Peace is a Journey. I'm going to mispronounce the name by spontaneity but it's spelled kind of cool, spelled kind of funny. Um, it's on AO3. It's called Peace is a Journey um, and it's kind of just like a bit of a canon divergence AU um, where Zadia is just, as a continent, is just a lot bigger. So the trio just takes a lot more, it's set like after, um, go back to the first chapter. Yeah. Okay. It's set after 103. So basically it's just that the continent's a lot bigger. So everything takes a lot longer to travel. Um, and so it's basically just like a slow burn trio friendship fic, but like so much more at the same time. Like I feel like I'm I'm it's over 200,000 words already. Um there's 16 chapters. They're all fucking amazing. Um has some of the best world building I've ever read. Like fanfic published otherwise. Like it's just phenomenal. Um, it all feels so natural. It's all so fun and cool. 
I'm a massive, I'm just, I'm here so much for just like friendship and just that sort of thing. So the trio is definitely the focus, you know, with some good Ezra and Realist stuff and good Callum and Realist stuff, you know, there's just, it is, that will be like the eventual pairing. So there's just enough, but it is very slow burn. Um, even just in terms of like, you know, like the kids have a lot of other stuff to focus on, but it's so good. It's so worth it. Every chapter, I'm just like, oh, amazing. You know, you got to just see a lot of cool different sides of like Viren and Amaya and all that sort of stuff. And Soren, you know, and Corvus is there and just everything just feels, it, it feels like if the content had been bigger, this is how, and it had, and they had had like time and room for all of this in something like if you could take up this much space narrative wise like this is this is what it would be that's how it feels um characterization is like amazing i adore it um and yeah it's just it's so good i don't want to give anything away because there are some twists and turns and it's not just like a rehashing of season one, like things go in like very different directions. It's also kind of nice because this is something that like, um, I, Avatar Last Year Wonder is my favorite show and the Dragon Princes are probably my second favorite show. And considering how highly I've always held like Avatar, that's saying something. It's kind of like those two are my favorites like ever. And then every, like I like, I'll say like, oh, like Troll Hunters, Toes of Acadia is my third. And it's really good, but it's almost like there's this big gap in between, like, my second favorite and my third favorite. And just in terms of just how good or how much I love it or whatever. Um, and one thing that I really love about Avatar's Airbender is how grounded it always felt. And, like, so many episode plot points, particularly in season one, is, like, and Katara and Sokka are realizing, like, oh, we ran out of food or money or whatever. We need to go into town one of us should get a job or we just need to go find food or like whatever. It's always very grounded in reality in terms of like character switch outfits, characters have sleeping bags, like that sort of thing. And also like the dragon prince, the kids are traveling for a much shorter amount of time in like season one in particular. Like they only actually travel for maybe a full two days in season one because like they get delayed at the lodge then they spend the day in the town and then they kind of get swept away by the avalanche, you know? So it's kind of like, and then they're climbing the caldera and then there's in the caldera and like, that's kind of it. And that's like maybe a day. So they're not actually traveling very far for that long. Maybe the boat helped, you know, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so it's really, and that's fine. You know, like I'm not overly concerned of like, what are the kids eating all the time? Or like, shouldn't they be wearing winter coats? Like some of it's animation budget, some of it's realism. They weren't packed for a journey like this. You know, maybe they took stuff from the Banther Lodge. You know, like, I'm like, fantasy, TV show magic. I don't need to know everything. That's fine. Um, and I'm going to be surprised if even, like, the novelization answers a bit more of, like, oh, they do go foraging or they do, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I get why it's not necessarily always explicit in the TV show. It doesn't, like, matter too, too much. And we see it here and there so I'm like I'm more than appeased but like this fanfic I'm like there's so many chapters where it's just like description of like the kids putting up their tent and I'm just enraptured every time like it's that good I'm like yes teach me everything you have to know about camping and I've been camping and I didn't like camping so like I'm so sold I'm like I'm here till the very end 
this fanfic's gonna be so long is so good. And I'm just like really excited at one point to like go back and reread it. And I would really recommend starting it now because the update schedule is pretty regular, not the crazy. If I'm thinking, you know, I think it's kind of like, um, I want to say once a month, but it may be more than that. I'm not sure. I kind of forget. I'm not someone who is really like, oh my God, I need that fanfic updated that too, too much, that much. Cause I'm very real. I'm like authors have other lives and I'm grateful I got anything at all. So I'm always just like, you know, I'm not thinking like, oh, where's that new chapter? And then it comes and then it just drops. And I'm not paying attention. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's here. Like, so, you know, but I would recommend starting now, especially if you have time and you want to sink your teeth into something and you're, you're down for trio interactions. And just, again, there's just enough real. Like there's just enough where I'm like, mm delicious you know so I would I can't recommend it enough it's one of my favorite fics in the fandom it's just phenomenal pieces of journey it's on AO3 can't miss it would always always recommend yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and then the other two questions that we have, um, one is from the awkwardest of sauces. So I was wondering, what was the first thing that drew you to Calamarilla individually and also as a ship? I hope you're doing okay right now. Have a nice day. First of all, I hope you're having a great day too. This is very sweet. Um, this is also going to be a long, another long answer. Um, because, oh God, so much. I don't even know what it is. There's some characters or some like stories that just like they just connect to you where you're like, this is just one that speaks to you on a very like immediate sort of interpersonal level. You know, like you'll have other stories you love and you have stories that you love where it's like where you love them and it's like this was made for you or shaped or is going or is one that shaped you in the past or whatever it is. Um, and I just, I had a feeling like right away, I was like, the dragon prince is really going to be something special. That's why I made my side plug like two months before the show came out. And I was already thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to be a realist stand, which is interesting because like in most of my fandoms, if you ask me who like my fave, favorite character is in it, um, I really think I usually end up like I always end up liking the protagonist the most. There's there's very few shows where I would even for like Legend of Korra where like I really loved Kai and Jinora and neither of them are side characters. I think if you asked me who like my straight up favorite Legend of Korra character is, I would probably I would probably say Korra. Like I'm just I'm always that person who likes the protagonist. Like Harry Potter is my favorite Harry Potter character. <laughs> Aang is my favorite Avatar's Airbender character. Like, I always tend to kind of go for the protagonists who, ironically or not enough, tend to usually be kind of underrated, except in Percy Jackson. That's an exception. But even then, like, my second favorite Percy Jackson character is, like, Clarice LaRue. So it just it just depends. Um, so I think individually for Rayla, I was just really drawn to... The idea of this elven assassin who just immediate, who switches sides. I think like that's basically all we had for her. And there was just something about that where I was like, you have such uh, opportunity to really be something special. And something I've realized more so the past couple of years, especially in my own writing, is like I really like my angry girls 
And I don't like my angry boys. That's the weird thing. I'm like, if you give me a boy who's always kind of broody, like, you know, kind of mean or whatever, that'll ne- that's never going to be my favorite. Like, there's maybe – I love Kaz from Six of Crows, but that's, like, the one exception to that. Um, in terms of just, like, you know, I, I don't – like, that's why, like, I love Zuko, but he's not my favorite for that exact reason or, like – I never usually like the loner archetype in male characters. That's not, I don't really like the angsty, broody male in most media. That's never usually my favorite. Even if, even if like they have more layers to them later or whatever, that's not really my type. I usually tend to like the selfless leader or the reluctant hero or something like that a bit more. Like the person who's like the kindness, the person who's the kindest most openly while also having been through the most suffering you know like Zuko went through goes through a lot but I don't think anyone anything can compare to Aang's loss like remotely like Katara and Sokka come closest and even then like it's on completely different levels in terms of like a slow decline in genocide of your people over like 60 years or more versus to like you get, it's the equivalent of like you run away from home, you get in a car accident, you wake up a few days later or you, so you think and you find out that like everyone and everything you ever knew is dead. Like that's, that's Aang's situation. And like you can't even really comprehend it. And like that's why Harry's my favorite too. It's, it's the kindness paired with the character who almost has like the least amount of reason to be kind, but they're the most kind instead. But the one exception to that rule that tends to be is for girls. I don't know if it's because, like, I read Greek mythology growing up a lot. So I just got used to women being portrayed as evil for being, like, rightfully angry. They don't always handle it the best in Greek mythology. Like, Medea is like, whew. You know, maybe you went a little bit too far. But I get it. I get where the anger is coming from. I'm here for that sort of thing. And I guess maybe just in terms of like women's anger being less validated and this is my compensation. I don't even know. So, and then Rayla, you know, she's kind of, she's kind of grumpy. She's kind of mean, but mostly she's warm and funny and compassionate. And one of my favorite things for characters is like when they're compassionate with little reason to be or when it's almost like against their better judgment. So I think you can really see that in Callum and Rayla where they're compassionate to each other, particularly in the beginning, even though like they really don't want to be, they're like, oh, this is so inconvenient. Like I can't, why can't I just kill him and it'll be easy, you know? And that's, that's just not the case. So I don't know, there was just always something about Rayla, but I was also fully expecting, I'm like, if not Rayla, I'm sure... Callum or Ezra are going to be my favorites. Just, you know, they're protagonists and whatever. Um, so, yeah, there was just always something about Rayla and the fact that, like, immediately she was making, like, choices I wouldn't have defined as either, like, you know, her letting Marcos go. I know I've said before, like, I don't know if I would say that like, that's the right thing to do, but I don't think it's the wrong thing to do either. I think it's just it is what it is, which I think a lot of the decisions in the show are, and I love that the show, I think, gives room for that sort of thing of not necessarily making that sort of harsh moral judgment that you're making like the hard decision, the best decision you can in an overall really crappy circumstance and not necessarily like this isn't the right thing to do, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong either. It's just, it's, 
it's not easy. It's just not easy. That's like kind of the only option that I think the show makes a point of, of saying about its moral dilemmas and stuff like that, that it really presents. And so I don't know. There's just always something about Rayla of like her coming back and Renan's like, you spared him, but you killed us all. And just being slapped in the face kind of with consequences and her just being also like unsure and untested and wanting to prove herself. And even just like the guilt she's carrying that she doesn't want to dump on the boys, but she's also scared of losing them. And just that sort of like maybe her loneliness resonated with me. Maybe because there definitely are parts of myself that I do see in Rayla. You know, I see some of my flaws in her. I see some of my flaws in Callum. It's not like a, I'm only like Callum or I'm only, you know, there's, I like to think I have some Ezrin, but yeah. So that really drew me to her. And then for Callum, I just immediately, when he talked, I guess one of the things is like, again, I don't usually dislike characters without a good reason. So I, in season one, the only characters I think that I wasn't like super fond of, but I still really liked were probably Soren and Claudia just because I didn't feel like I had been given much reason to have super strong opinions or feelings about them. I was like, they're mostly comic relief in season one, kind of villainous, kind of not. There's not like too much sort of depth. And obviously like Claudia's worldview, I made a post about it earlier today even, but like Claudia's worldview is already not very healthy in season one. So I was like, that's going to come back and bite you in the butt one day sweetie um and then Soren obviously like he's you know he hasn't really started to have his moments of doubt yet that he'll have later in season two about his mission he's also kind of a jerk to Callum and that just always felt very unfair so they were characters I didn't really like that much so I know early on I felt a lot of sympathy for Callum in terms of feeling out of place in his family or even just kind of feeling like there's some sort of like emotional barrier isolation that you feel from the people around you and like I think that's very relatable I've had instances of that in my life so I really resonated with Callum early on too and the fact that he's more a bit more creative you know like the way he felt about art the way he felt about magic I've said it before but like that's very much how I feel about myself as a writer and writing in general in terms of like this is how I express myself this is how I process so much of my life and so much of the world like I you can't cut it out of me like, I don't know who I am without it. And him kind of like, and I, but I remember when I found it and was like, oh, like this thing exists. And that, that was just, that was it for me. And that was a long time ago. I was very young. I was, I'm very grateful that I found it young when I did. And so, yeah, I just, I immediately liked both of them. And then, but what drew me towards them as a ship, obviously, was partially that like, you know, I tend, I usually tend like, I say that, like, okay, Rayla's, like, my ultimate favorite, but, like, Callum and Ezrin are, like, very, very close seconds. Like, I would say if Rayla's, like, my number one, the boys are, like, 1.5, you know? Like, it's not even a full step down. Um, And so I remember I started shipping Rayla, and we got a screen cap, I think, like, a week before the show came out or something. It's them sitting under the tree in 104, and he's holding up the primal stone, and she's kind of looking away, but she's smiling, And I remember that really struck me because I was like, oh, like he's going to be a bit more like excited, a bit, you know, kind of maybe a little dorky and she's going to be a bit more reserved, but fond, you know, she's going to be kind of exasperated, but she's still going to genuinely enjoy his company. 
you know? And so for me, the most of the time, like I would say, I think maybe I only have like two shifts where this isn't the case. And like, even then, like the dysfunctionality between them is the point. But for most of my shifts, it's kind of like, how well do they take care of each other? How well do they listen? How much do they adore each other, basically? And season one, Raylam gave that to me immediately. There was the narrative, and I do want to make a post about why I think Raylam is popular, because I think why they are is because they encompass so much of what the show is about. Like, narratively, you have the juiciness, you know, whatever, like, in terms of, like, overcoming prejudice or working on that or, like, manifestation of narrative themes of, like, alpha and human bonds getting better. So there's that level. And then you have the fact that, like, for me, one of the things that was appealing was, like, they're going to be a friendship at the very least that's going to have a lot of screen time. And so in season one, you know, and that was just such a treat for me because usually my ships, if they are canon, they don't tend to get a lot of screen time, unfortunately. Or they alternatively they do get a lot of screen time, but they're not popular fanon-wise. So Raylam having both was such a surprise and such a delight for me. Like I was really expecting them to not be the most popular ship in the fandom. This has never happened before, but they've also gotten the most screen time or even just been the most popular. So I'm constantly amazed. I'm like, oh my God, like what a beautiful thing. Um, it's really nice change. Like I'm going to savor this for a long time because I know like once, you know, once you eventually move on, you know, another like three, five years, I'm like, I'm not getting this for a long time, if ever again. So I'm going to savor this. Um, but I think so one of the things that really drew them, me to them as a ship in season one was just seeing like not only the fact that like it was the really small things. It was like in season one when they first meet, even the fact that she's kind of like teasing him at first, like, oh, you don't like my ears. And he stammers out a yes. And I was like, huh, interesting. Even the fact I remember thinking to myself, I was like, oh, the fact that they're getting a so because I knew, you know, you know, from the episode from the series synopsis that like Ezra and the other part of this like team he's going to be coming with. But I remember thinking like, huh, really interesting that these two are having a solo meeting, like an individual one. It's not like Cal and Ezra and her, her and Cal meet first and have these conversations. And like they're, she's brought to the castle because of Ezra. So it's not like he's already not a part of it, but just I thought that was interesting and then I think they're even like 102 alone. I was I was like convinced. And then 103 really just continued to convince me further. And by 105, I was like, oh, amazing. Cause like in 102, I remember thinking, like when he's like, oh, like you know this is wrong. Even though that he was willing to kind of like argue with her about ethics. I was like, you see her as a person. This year is someone worth arguing with. And I think that speaks volumes and the fact that Callum already wanted peace you know like he didn't he it's not like he didn't have prejudice against themselves but he didn't hate them he saw them as were as able to reason with even when this girl has this sword held to his throat he's like he's still he could still see you know and even though like she apologized for the fact that she has to kill him and that's genuine he can see that and all she can do, and he brings up good points, and, like, all she can do is really, like, deflect. He's like, oh, well, you know this is wrong. She's like, oh, well, you know, decide right and wrong. Like, she can't admit that he's right. So just that kind of, like, being faced with things about yourself that you didn't maybe want to know, that's also going to lead you to going on a better 
path. Like I always really like characters who are almost like the inciting incidents in each other's lives in terms of like they transform each other or they put each other on the right path. And for me, that most compelling is when that happens like early on and then you see them like grow and grow together. So and that's exactly what I ended up getting. So thank you. Thank you, me. Um, or even just like smaller things. Like I remember when Callum goes like, oh, you swept the leg. It's it's a comedic moment. That's primarily what it's there for. But it's also very much like, oh, he, Rayla can do what Callum can't. She makes up for what he lacks. You know, and even in their conversation later when he's arguing about the morals, it's almost like he's making up for what she lacks in that moment. Like he already has that sort of morality that she's kind of trying to sweep under the rug for herself. And then obviously like in 103 when they're being chased by the smoke wolves, Rayla can't defeat them but Callum can't. So he's making up for what she can't do. And it was already that very like give and take sort of relationship that I just adored. And then obviously like they have, you know, when she, he stands up for her on the roof. And then when he goes down, she offers to go back into the tower with him. And it was that really ride or die loyalty from the start where I was like, I'm here for this. I don't know what type of relationship they're going to have. Genuinely could have stayed platonic the whole way through and I would have been like equally happy of just having romance as a fandom thing like honest to god because for me the best OTPs are always bro TPs and always really rooted particularly for something like Raylan that would have been a friends to lovers couple even just as like a fan concept like that's always the most appealing thing to me like for anything like hate to love or enemy enemies to lovers or rivals to lovers there always has to be a friendship stage for me to really buy it that always has to be there and so and I I just love that trope already and so I was like I wouldn't ship Rail on the way that I do I think if I didn't also think that they're genuinely romantic or platonic they are each other's soulmates they are each other's person they bring something like incredibly special out in each other. And that was so obvious even in season one. And I'm so glad that like season one not only went that hard, but also acknowledged it because I had had couples in the past, like in Voltron or whatever, where the couples would have like really emotional decisions of like sacrificing yourself to save the other or something like that. And then it would never really be And then they, someone would be like, oh, I'll have to go rescue them at like any cost. And then you would never see it brought up again. It would never be talked about again. And that was really hard. That's the group chat. Just gonna pull that up. Um, and then tuck it away. So, you know, just real, I'm having that. And so like in Callum's like, oh, you called me a mage and that felt right. And just kind of the leaps of faith that they had to take in each other in terms of trust and the egg and Callum being like, I trust you with Ezrin. And his brother's his whole world. Like, that's so clear so early on. And even the fact that, like, their insecurities parallel each other. And, you know, she's always kind of... She has a really definite soft spot for him in season one. And he just tries so earnestly to get to know her. He's just so genuinely interested. And you can tell she doesn't really know what to do with that. And I was just... I was so immediately enamored. Like, right away. I was so here for it. And like every episode has just convinced me more and more that I'm like, these two have something so special to with and give something so special to each other that I don't think any character can really give. 
in a way that I think is like rare. Cause like I, I, I usually tend to multi-ship. Like some, when I have OTPs, sometimes I'll, I'll commit more where I'm like a justice character. But it's really rare that I don't multi-ship. And while there's a couple other people I could see having like romantic feelings for Rayla in the future, like post-season three, like Soren one-sided, Cla- post-redemption Claudia one-sided. And I do think that like Callum and Claudia's romance is a really fascinating point to examine their characters through. I'm like, I could never ship either of them with anybody else. It's really just like, like not wholeheartedly, not in terms of like requited feelings. Like there's, it's just them. That's it. They're each other's person. They're each other's end game. And I think like season one is just made it so obvious to me that like they would lend themselves so well to a romance and so that's the thing that's crazy to me of like you go back and they're like, oh, we didn't totally know until we were storyboarding season two. And who knows if they storyboarded season two before season one got animated. Like we don't know when the whole process was put together or whatever. But I'll be amazed if like they didn't go back and tweak things in season one because there's so much there where I'm like, this it's just stunning relationship work and I love it I really do I really do they nailed it on like every level and then yeah I just love them I don't even know if I answered your question I feel like I just talked about why I love them so much for like yep 20 minutes there we go um but yeah I could talk about this all day but ultimately I feel like they just really complement each other and it was immediately like their character designs, their place in the narrative, their first meeting, even when we knew them individually, just just everything about them, everything about the Dragon Prince wide right away, like as in a sh- as a show in general, like clicked for me. Like I remember I love like I love high fantasy, I love dragons. So I was like, great, high fantasy animated show, perfect. I know some people were bothered by the frame rate. Never bothered me. There's a couple moments in season one where I'm like, okay, that's little awkward to look at but like I adjust and you know I also wasn't sure about the animation style because I'm hoping for it to be 2d and like again like I watched the trailer and I was like oh I don't know and I started actually watching the show and it just it, it just worked everything just worked like I love fight scenes in the rain the first fight scenes in the rain you know I love these types of character archetypes that Dragon Prince was like here take all of them I love these types of things they were like here you know it was just everything was just like oh my god catered so hard to me so and Raylum was a big part of that as two of the main characters, one of the main relationships in the show. Again, romantic, platonic, whatever. I'm just like, give it to me. So, yeah, loved them. Loved them right away. Um, and then for the last question is one, one straight Canadian. And they say, I am a huge fan of your blog, stories, and podcasts, and have finally worked up the courage to ask you a question. Thank you. I'm very pleased and please never be scared. I'm a massive nerd as you probably know if you listen to this. And I'm so happy that my blog is a positive, happy space for you. That makes you happy because that's all I really want it to be. I mean, like primarily it's for myself. I'm having a good time, but I really do love hearing that I can spread that to you guys and you can also have fun. Um, So that's very sweet. Thank you. Just for that's, that's just really nice. 
Um, and then the actual question is, what do you think the relationships between the drugging and the draconic royal family will be like in future seasons, particularly with Callum, Ezrin, and Zubeya? I personally see Zubeya later adopting the brothers in Rayla, and would love to see the queen go full mama dragon on Sol Regan for trying to kill her sons and their elf. 100% agree. I'm also Canadian. Hello. Um... Yeah, I'm like, there's no way Zubaya isn't, not only is she getting her son back around the same time that the boys and Rayla show up, so she's just going to be like, I thought I was only going to get one hatchling, and now I have four. And so I'm like, there's no way she's not adopting these kids, even just at first because of what they've done for her son. Like, Ezrin found the egg, Callum helped hatch it. Like, they've all, Callum was ready to die, you know, to let Rayla and Ezra, and let Rayla and Zim go through. Ezra has a mind link to Zim, you know, or whatever. Rayla caught the egg when it was falling off the cliff. She tackled Viren off the cliff. You know, she helped take care of Zim. Like, they're young, they're his family, and like there's no reason why that wouldn't extend to Zubeya. And I also think it'd be a really good opportunity for her growth in terms of like this is the family you called a hit on. Like you ordered an assassination hit on Ezrin, and now he's mind linked to your son, like they're platonic soulmates. And just her not only realizing that like you shouldn't act, you shouldn't keep the cycle going as well. And obviously, like we don't know what season four could bring for her. But just kind of, like, giving her an opportunity to have those types of realizations. And I think, like, you know, Callum's going to be in Ziggity at least a little bit to learn magic, whether or not that brings him close to the spire. But, like, he's going to want to go visit Zim. Rayla would, too. Ezra, obviously, it's not like they're not going to be coming back whenever they can to go see him. And just over the years, and, like, Zim and oh, Zim, Ezra and Zubay are, like, important figures in terms of, like, bringing peace back you know like that sort of thing like we'll have to wait and see how much power the draconic royal family has but yeah i want her to adopt the shit out of these kids i want them all to have like as many parental figures as they can ibis get in there amaya adopt rayla Athari, adopt the boys let's go you know like i'm just i'm here for all of it i want it so badly also people need to adopt soren but i think amaya and Janai will mostly have that covered but like i will not say no to more parental figures for anyone just give the kids all of them. They all deserve it so much. Um, and so, yeah, I would love for Zubea, you know, to, again, like, she knows, like, it's not like Callum and Ezra and Rilla are maybe as helpless as Zim is right now because he's a baby. So she's like, oh, you can guard him or whatever and stuff. But, like, she trusts them. And I think in time that gratitude and that trust will turn to love and she will kind of view them as her own and that was a really emotional scene actually that I got to write in if time is money with the gel um we were writing I think, yeah the chapter's up that chapter's up where Cal and Rayla are choosing to leave the spire they've been living there for about like four ish five years and so they have to say goodbye to Zim and Zubeya just you know they're gonna come visit and dragons are gonna come visit them and whatever but like they're not gonna be in that place anymore and it hit like really emotionally hard i don't know if it's just because like i can't handle humans and dragons saying goodbye now because like i was in the how to train a dragon fandom for so long or what i can't do it ezra and zim saying goodbye kills me at the end of season two like i cry every time um and i definitely think she would get really protective over her kids 
Because, yeah, like, she would already be pissed at Sol Regum for trying to kill Zim. So that alone. And then it would kind of be like, if you mess with these two humans and this elf girl, like, she will rain hellfire down on you. Like, that's her family. And, like, it's what they deserve, you know? They deserve that protective, political, powerful sort of presence to really look out for them. And I'm just, I'm here for it so much. And, you know, I'll have headcanons of, like, Zubaya being, like, very curious and also kind of, like, surprised. And then she goes to really enjoy, like, Zim's mind link with Ezra in terms of, like, checking in on each other and that sort of thing and how that works. And who knows how old Zim will be before he talks. You know, he may be, like, 100 years and maybe, like, 10 or less or whatever. But just him and his speech and stuff like that. So he can actually talk to his, like, human friends and stuff or without Ezra acting like a translator. And, like, Callum and Rayla, like, if they do stay at the Spire or they do visit, like, Callum and Zim flying together or Callum getting invited to come on family flights, like, that would be really sweet. And I feel like Zubaya obviously, like, owes Rayla so much in terms of, like, I'm sorry I doubted your parents, first of all. So, like, that's really emotional. But also, like, her parents having saved Zim at all. And they know that now. They know that because, like, of Callum. So that being another, like, avenue of gratitude. And obviously, like, her knowing, like, you went off the cliff for my for my baby. And you guys are the reason he's here, like, at all. And they all sacrificed so much for it. And Zubaya just realizing, particularly of humans, that, like, they're so much more than she thought. And that's just... Again, it comes back to that, like, that love in the most, like, unexpected places that can sometimes be the strongest as you go through your life and you never know who's going to enter it, who's going to become your family, who's going to love you, and, like, vice versa. And so, yeah, give me a million headcanons. And I would really like to write a fanfic from Zim's point of view at one point of Cal and Rilla and, like, Ezra, to a degree, living at the Spire, like, as coming to visit and stuff like that. And also having, like, parts of it from, like, Zubaya's point of view and that sort of thing. So I think that would be really fun to write, even if I haven't started it yet. And just, yeah, it's one of the many relationships where I'm like, I don't actually think it's going to get that much screen time in Kanan. It just, you know, it's not like they're not going to have time to do all the, like, nitty-gritty little character dynamics. Because, like, everyone's so interconnected at this point. It's actually kind of insane at the end of season three. Like, it's crazy. Um, but that's what fandom is for and I'm really looking forward to exploring all of it Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as always thank you for listening and you can send in more questions and episode requests in the future I already have an episode recorded for next week like I previously mentioned really looking forward to the novelization and my season one countdown week that I start on the 25th there are prompts at my blog but love if you guys wanted to participate or contribute or just enjoy what I make for that week I think it will be really fun um let me know if you also got emotional (laughs) and uh, yeah just thank you so much for listening and I hope you're all doing well as you can yeah dragons out